Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. This show is brought to you by our brand new sponsor. We're excited about this. BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. I'll tell you all about them later in the show, and I've got an exclusive discount for you listeners, so you're going to want to hear that. But before we get to all of that, tons of topics for today's show, including a zillion moves by the Astros and the Rockets over the last week. Are we excited about how their new GMs handled everything? You're about to find out. And then there's the Texans' first week of training camp. Did anybody notice? As always, I'm joined by my co-host, regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, boy, it's been a fun week in Houston sports. Well, you know what, Robert? It feels like I've been away from the podcast for about a month with all the stuff that's going on. I mean, you've, I think you've had, what, two podcasts since I last joined you? You had uh, Greg Lucas talking about all the Astro stuff. You had uh, David Weiner with all the Rockets moves. Man, I, how many shows are we going to have to do to get all this in? Oh, and did you say the Texans are in training camp? I must have missed that. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people <laughs> are probably trying to miss it if they can. We'll get there. But um, the Astros, they go against the Dodgers as we're speaking on Wednesday. That was last night, their first game against the Dodgers. Uh, classy Dodger fans, huh? Yeah, I don't. I hate to say it. I wasn't that surprised, but I think even for Dodgers fans, they they went over the top. They there were more trash cans thrown on the field that night than runs the Astros actually scored to win the game. I mean, that's how bad it was. I think I lost count. Well, I I think I counted four that I know of in the first seven innings. There may have been more than that, and I just missed it. But yeah, it was quite something. I mean, there were, there were fights in the stands. There were. You know, of course, you, you knew the jeering and the booing and the, the name calling. You knew that was going to be. But I would have hated to have been an Astros fan sitting in the stands at Dodger Stadium that night because it it was about as brutal as it gets. I mean, you would expect that from Yankees fans, maybe. And yeah, you would expect some a rabid thing from Dodgers fans. But man, I think, you know, Tuesday night, it definitely took the cake. Lance McCullers loves this stuff. He's a he's he's a UFC guy, so he was leaning into. He's the guy you want on the mound in these situations. Yeah, he is. You know, Lance is a gamer. He's it, it's not going to phase him now. You know, he he says, "Oh, I I enjoyed it. I was looking forward to." You know, he said, "I wasn't nervous the whole day." That's Lance. And and I guess if you really think about it, Robert, who would you rather have on the mound in a situation like that than somebody like Lance McCullers? You know, whether he's been up and down or whatever, at least, you know, he thrives on that kind of thing. It's not going to phase him. And it certainly didn't phase him Tuesday night. You know, it was a little shaky in spots, but hey, the Dodgers didn't score any runs. And uh, believe it or not, oh my gosh, the bullpen actually held up and kept the Dodgers off the board. How did that happen? It happened because they got a new guy in the bullpen for one. And, <laughs> and there was another guy yeah. that did a pretty good job, Blake Taylor, but they got a new guy. And the other thing about Lance McCullers is he knows why they're booing the other starters. They'd get out there and go, why, why, why are you booing at me? I, I, I just got here. I just got here. <laughs> yeah. I think about somebody like, oh, I don't know, Blake Taylor or, you know, anybody who's wearing the Astros jersey. I mean, if they, you know, if, if they boo the mascot at uh, the all-star game, well, they're, they're, that tells you right there. It, it doesn't matter who it is. If you're associated your guilt by association. So, yeah, but they handled it. And, you know, they still have one more game as we're recording this, obviously. But, uh, the you know, the best way to shut people up is to just win. 
And that's what the Astros did. Yeah, it makes the fans hate them even more. But they, they finally at least silenced them enough where they got a victory. And that's what counts. Yeah, but my point is Luis Garcia wasn't here. Granke wasn't there. Um, you, we can go down the list. None of these guys were there back in 2017 of the Astros starters. So Lance McCullers is the only one that, you know, you can boo at and go, okay, he was there. I can get upset at him. But uh, if you look at, let's go to the tail of the tape for this season. The Astros beat the Dodgers in the first game of the series. Now by tonight, you know, maybe the Astros will split this one, but records against 500 or better teams this year, the Astros 43 and 25, the Dodgers 23 and 26. They're under 500. Yeah. The Dodgers have had their struggles this season. And of course, you know, they made a couple of acquisitions at the trade deadline, hoping to get better. Um, but uh, yeah, it is interesting. And, and to me, that's where it really counts is, you know, if you're beating the teams that are 500 or better, chances are you're going to see some of them in the postseason. So that bodes well for the Astros. They're beating the teams not only that they should beat, but they're beating the teams that are going to give them a run for their money throughout the season and, and even meet in the postseason. Last week, I recorded a podcast with Greg Lucas right after the first two deals. James Click made for the guys you know, Graveman, Montero, Garcia. Go back and listen if you didn't already for a more detailed breakdown. But Stephen, we recorded that show before Miles Straw was shipped out for 28-year-old pitcher Phil Maton, and I'm going to screw that name up uh, for the time being. Until... I believe it's Maton. Yeah, I think it's Maton. Yeah, Maton. The Astros also picked up maybe a good under-the-radar single-A catcher named Yaner Diaz. What did you think about the deal, Stephen? Because the concern by some was that Click he took a little bit of a chance that the law firm of McCormick and Myers could handle center field duties for a playoff run. Not that Straw's had playoff experience, but I, I, you know, what did you think about giving up Straw? That did raise my eyebrows just a little bit, Robert. I mean, Straw has certainly improved as the season's gone on. His defense has gotten somewhat better, and you know, his offense, which you and I have you just sat and criticized quite a bit, especially when the season began and through you know the first half of it, but. Yeah, it did raise my eyebrows a bit because the Astros outfield, it was already questionable coming into the season. You know, Chaz McCormick has, has improved and he's certainly been deserving of more playing time. But I'm still not quite sure, you know, if he's all there yet. Uh, you know, it, it's just too much of a small sample size. But, you know, then you've got, I, I think, I mean, Abraham Toro, you know, they made that deal with him. His defense, you and I have talked a lot about that, how it needs to improve. His bat was coming along, though, you know, and, and of course, that makes your your infield depth a bit questionable, especially if you're talking about Bregman still being out. Ledmus Diaz is back, you know, but but his health is always a question. You got Rebel Garcia behind him. So, yeah, straw being traded, that did raise my eyebrows a bit. But look, if you're the Astros, you had to make an upgrade in your bullpen. I mean, you just had to. So you had to give up something. And that's, you know, they, they gave up straw. We'll see what happens. Ravel Garcia reminded me again in the first Dodgers game why I'm not a big fan of his. And it would be nice if they had somebody uh, instead of Robel Garcia as your backup infielder along with Aledmus Diaz because we're going to get to Bregman. That may last a, a while. Uh, let me talk about the straw move because if I'm looking at McCormick or Myers in center field, defense is my main concern for the playoffs. From all I've read about Myers, he's an excellent defender. 
Steven, my fear right now is Dusty not showing enough confidence in Myers to play him these next two months because I'd like to see him get experience and have him ready for the spotlight. Well, you know, it's funny, Robert. You must have been reading my mind because I was thinking that very thing right after the Miles Straw deal is defense in the playoffs because you and I both know how big that is. I mean, yeah, Jake Myers is supposed to be good defensively. Now he's hitting, you know, he hadn't exactly looked that great, but then of course he hasn't had that many at-bats either. So, you know, you got to give him a little bit of a chance. But that that is my biggest concern, not only in center field, but, you know, when we're talking about the infield depth, you got Robel Garcia, whom you just mentioned, has made some questionable plays. You know, if Bregman's going to be out for a bit longer, it just, that's the biggest thing for me is the defense, both in center field you know, they're they're playing Kyle Tucker a bit more there. You know, Chaz McCormick is seeing some time. So, yeah, I, I am going to be interested to see, are they going to have enough confidence to give Jake Myers a shot, let him play a little bit, instead of just putting him in a pinch hitting role, because he is supposed to be pretty adequate defensively in center field. Robel Garcia would be a concern if Will Fuller Bregman, Arian Foster Bregman wasn't going on right now. You know, he has the one injury to one leg, and now he pulls up. Uh, or misses a game, which he said wasn't a big deal, but you're missing a game because the other leg's got a hamstring issue now. Remember when we were searching for a Bregman nickname? I didn't think it would be <laughs> Mr. Soft Tissue. Soft Tissue, yeah, and that's not a nickname you want to have because you know, your soft tissue goes, you're going to be out for a while. Yeah, he was, of course, on a rehab assignment in Sugarland. He played that one game, and I think I don't even think he played the whole game, Robert. I think he came out before the game was over, so... Yeah, it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on. So that that was the only thing, as I said, that kind of raised my eyebrows about, you know, Abraham Toro and Miles Straw. But uh, honestly, I think the Astros came away with what they needed without giving up things any further. I mean, their farm system isn't exactly the best of the best anymore. So you had to give up something somewhere, and that's what they did with Straw and Toro. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I, I like the moves. I, I'm not adverse to giving up Miles Straw because— I just didn't see him as a guy that was going to be an all-star center fielder. He's a solid guy. Sometimes you need solid guys, but the the bullpen was much more concerning, and that's going to matter much more in a playoff situation. It'd also be nice to welcome back a veteran reliever like Pedro Baez. Uh, you know, I've, that was something that we were really hoping for uh, early in the season, that he was going to be such a huge help. You know, they're in Dodger Stadium. We're, we're reminded that Baez – just won the world, helped the Dodgers win the World Series. He's had all this experience with them. The waiting game for him is basically turning into a veteran version of Forrest Whitley. You hear rumors that he exists, but it's always something, Stephen. Now it's his low fastball velocity that they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I thought he looked good in his first rehab assignment, but now that's coming into question. And I just, you know, with, with when pitchers come back from something like that, when they've been out for so long, I... I tend to go on the low side, Robert. I'm I'm just a bit skeptical that a pitcher can just jump right in and be the pitcher that he was supposed to have been when you signed him. And I'm just not sure Pedro Baez is – I mean, talk about needing that experience. Oh, absolutely, the Astros do. I'm just not confident he's going to give it to you this season. You know, maybe toward the end of the season if he can come back pretty soon. But otherwise, I'm just not putting him in the mix as as far as – a, being available, and B, making a contribution you know, that, that's going to be worthy of them putting him in on a regular basis. Well, the big concern, and I don't know if you've been reading about this, is that not only has his fastball velocity gone down this season, but it had gone down 
last year too, if you looked at the numbers. So this is a guy that was up in the mid nineties around 96 or so. Now he's in the low nineties, 91, 92. You got to get that squared away. And you hope this isn't a longer term issue because guess what? Pedro Baez is signed for next season, too. Well, and that's something you would think with the Astros being all into the analytics thing that they are, that that's something they might have looked at last season as, you know, why is his velocity going down? I mean, was there something starting, you know, well before they signed him? That's always the question I have. You know, when a pitcher gets injured, do you look back over the course of a few weeks, a few months? If you notice some downward trends, well, his was a downward trend from last year. Kendall Graveman talked about him a little bit with Greg, or we talked a lot actually about those guys, but especially I want to talk about Graveman because he's looked fantastic since he's played with the Astros. The The stuff is great, but I mentioned he had the Tommy John surgery. That helped him out. If you look at his numbers, they just don't tell a great story of him over the years, but I thought, well, why, what's changed about it? And, and it's really, I, I think sometimes you move a guy into the bullpen, you know, he was a starter early on and all of a sudden they can hump it up a little bit. They can get more stuff on their stuff. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the case with Graveman. I mean, he was a starter, I think his first few seasons with Oakland and then he had the tumor on his spine. And I think that that had a lot to do with him going to the bullpen, but yeah, his numbers since he's been in the bullpen, I mean, when, when he came to the Astros, he had a 0.82 ERA. It was second only to Craig Kimbrell. Uh, 0.70 whip. It was you know the lowest in the majors. So he's definitely you know got the numbers, and, and he's certainly been money so far for the Astros in the short period of time he's been here. And I kind of feel like Click just made some of these moves, a couple of extra moves, just because of his lack of confidence in Pedro Baez. I think it, it does come down to that. I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence in some of these other guys, but... Stanek is is moving up the scale, and that's something that I wasn't expecting. But but he's looking better. Blake Taylor came up with a, a big out when you needed it against the Dodgers in the first game of the series. He's showing some signs. He's still uh, still not super confident in him. But if he's your fifth inning guy or sixth inning guy in a playoff game, not so bad. And, and a spot deal where he's your lefty. I, I just don't want Brooks Raley being my lefty because I just got zero confidence in him frankly i hope he's not on the playoff roster i hope the astros uh don't need him on a playoff roster but it's just all those things you, you throw together i do want to before we uh get into the rockets and the texans though steven i want to ask you what's going on this week in astros history we need some music or something for this right yeah yeah we do we need some kind of history type music to to ramp that up robert but there are some definitely some things going on and i i just looked at this this morning you know when i was going through and prepping for the show, and I saw this was rather interesting, especially considering what happened Tuesday night at Dodger Stadium. Well, in 2018, it was on August 3rd that the Astros went to Dodger Stadium, and they beat the Dodgers 2-1, to one, and it was their first return to Dodger Stadium since winning the World Series the year before. Now, yes, the cheating scandal, you know, it, it hadn't been revealed yet, so nobody was, everybody was none the wiser for that. But uh, the Astros beat the Dodgers, you know, they, the rematch of the World Series. Justin Verlander struck out 14 in that game. George Springer had an RBI scoring double. So, you know, imagine thinking that at, at the time we had no idea what the cheating scandal was, was going on. But I just thought it was interesting, you know, that that game happened on that day. And, <laughs> and then the Astros uh, Tuesday night, which, of course, was August 3rd, 
beat the Dodgers in grand fashion, three to nothing with Lance McCullers. So that was pretty cool. Have you ever been to Dodger Stadium before? I have not. I've been there. It's beautiful with Chavez Ravine in the background. It was a very pleasant experience when I was there. This was years and years ago. I think it was go back to 1996. Uh, the other thing that was really cool back then is, of course, Vin was still doing the game. So you had people listening with their earbuds in to Vin Scully doing the call. And I, I always have had affection for Vin. I've had affection for the Brooklyn Dodgers, not necessarily the Los Angeles Dodgers, because, you know, they grew up as the enemy, not just with this stuff. But if you go back to my generation and your generation, Stephen, the Astros were playing against the Dodgers in the National League West. So that was right. their division rival. Um, you know, if if you look at the Dodgers over the years, I think people had lost that fire because we had lost the division rivalry. And all of a sudden, you know, now it's back with everything that's happened in the World Series and, <laughs> and the cheating scandal and all of this stuff. And the fans, they're throwing gasoline on it, giving, you know, so glad the Astros fans don't do this crap, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about classless Dodgers fans. I mean, come on. I mean, even during the broadcast, I was I wasn't able to catch it on television. It's blacked out here, Robert. You know, but listening to the radio broadcast, yeah, I, I think Robert Ford mentioned several times just the class, classless act of the fans. But, yeah, isn't it funny what it can take to fuel a rivalry and get it back into gear again? So, yeah, I, that's why I thought it was so interesting. Just, you know, the, the comparison of Tuesday night's game to the game, you know, right after the World Series on August 3rd, 2018, the year after. So that's why I had to include it on this day, uh, this week in Astros history. Now, you go back to the year before on July 30th. Well, in last week's podcast, Robert, I mentioned that uh, Craig Biggio had been the first Astro to make the Hall of Fame. Well, his buddy Jeff Bagwell joined him in 2017, being inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So, you know, wherever Biggio goes, Bagwell goes too. Yeah, I mean, that was great day again for the Astros. We talked about Biggio Bagwell just happening right after him. Very fitting. Only more fitting would be if they, they went in together. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that, obviously. And then just, you know, Hollywood wouldn't have uh, had a better script to write than that. But uh, pretty obvious, but still definitely worth mentioning that one gets in, the other comes in after him a couple of years later. Now, you go back to July 30th of 1980, a not so great story happening. Uh, that day in Astros history, and that was J.R. Richard. That that was when, that was the day that he suffered the stroke while working out in the Astrodome. And, you know, it was only three weeks after he pitched in the All-Star game that year, Robert. And, of course, we know a couple of years later, Richard tried to make a comeback. It was unsuccessful. I know you you had J.R. on the show several years ago. Is that is that still in the archives? Yeah, I think it's back there somewhere. I I, I know we've got... Uh, it's been a while. Best of Astros show. I'm trying to remember if I... I I ran it in one of the throwback Thursdays, but, you know, just go into the search engine if you look for it uh, through the podcast and there is definitely there. And, and J.R. Richard, one of those stories in Astros history that what could have been because that year, 1980, the Astros got into the playoffs, but it was a little harder because they got swept by the Dodgers at the end of the season, which tied the division race and they had to play an extra game. I don't know if the extra game would have mattered, but it definitely would have mattered having J.R. Richard in those playoffs against the Phillies that they is incredible series that they lost three games to two. I mean, how, how nice would it have been to have J.R. in that series, much less the rest of his career? Oh, no question. I mean, it kind of, you know, you liken that to what would have happened in 86 if, if the Astros, you know, had won that game with the Mets, that extra inning game and 
you got Mike Scott on the mound next. I mean, what could have happened? Well, it's the same thing with J.R. Richard. If he had been in there, who knows how history might have changed. So very unfortunate. And, you know, not only did you have him on the show, Robert, but, you know, J.R. wrote a book several years ago. I believe it was called Still Throwing Heat. And it was kind of his life story and everything that happened, you know, with the stroke and how, you know, he was homeless, you know, at some point. Uh, and just uh, the, the ups and downs that his life took is a great book. I happen to read it. So uh, I'm sure you can still find it on Amazon. That's where I read it. Still throwing heat. But yeah, uh, on uh, that day in 1980, a very sad day in Astros history. And I have one more, Robert, much, a uh, much more positive note here. On July 30th, 1969, Dennis Minky and Jimmy Wynn tie a major league record because they each hit a grand slam in the same inning. It occurred during the first game of a doubleheader against the Mets at Shea Stadium. The Astros won both of those games. They won that first game with those two grand slams, 16-3. to The Mets only managed a field goal in that game. <laughs> and they won the second game 11-5. to So uh, that was quite a day. The Astros swept a doubleheader, and he had two guys that hit a grand slam in the same, each in the same inning. Yeah, and we lost both of those guys over the last year, yep. year and a half. And if you if you want to hear more about the two of them, um, good stuff from Jerry Truppiano on Dennis Menke a few months ago after he passed away. And then if you go back to, uh, I think it was right around the beginning of the pandemic or somewhere in that time stretch is when we lost Jimmy Wynn. And I talked to Greg Lucas about Jimmy. And then there's a an interview that I did with Jimmy in that podcast. So uh, to remember those guys, go go back and listen. Those it's good, really good shows, not because of me, but because of the guys that I had on and what they remembered about them. Yeah, and of course, Jimmy Wynn, probably more celebrated than, than Dennis Minkey, but Dennis Minkey made his contribution, certainly with the Astros, on a couple of different occasions. He was with them twice. So uh, yeah, losing both of those guys in such a short time. But very interesting uh, this week in Astros history of several events. Yeah, as always, great stuff, Stephen. And before we dig into the Rockets draft and free agent moves, and I'm ready for that, got to tell you about <laughs> our new partner, BetUS.com. You know the sports betting season's about to ramp up, man. NFL, college football, they're almost here. You're going to need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. It's not just football. They'll take action on just about any sport. Maybe you want to put something on the Astros. Hey, they're looking good. Or even the Olympics. You might, you may already know this, but BetUS has been a pioneer in the sports book industry for almost three decades with a diehard customer fan base. The Sharp BetUS mobile platform is easy. Full betting options on that. Log into BetUS.com. Call 800-792-3887. So you can do either. That's 800 800- 79 BetUS. And here's the cool part. Use our promo code HST125, HST like Houston Sports Talk 125 for 125% bonuses. Or if you use crypto, a 200% bonus. Again, that's uh, HST125. That's the code. Follow my lead and get your phone online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity. Like I did, bet US, you bet, you win, you get paid. All right, man, oh man, Steven, can you believe the Rockets had more first round picks than they had in the eight previous drafts last week? Reminds me of one of those Christmases, Steven, when mom and dad just kept handing you presents to open. Hopefully you had one of those where you just say, oh, another one, another <laughs> one, Steven. 
Yeah, I may have had one. I'd, I'd have to go way back in my memory bank to remember it, Robert. But uh, it was definitely like Christmas, and and you stole my stat. I was definitely going to talk about that. So <laughs> you you beat me to it. I I mean it 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 didn't surprise me when I saw that, but it did catch my attention. I mean, when you think about how many first rounders the Rockets have traded over the years, but man, what a draft! I mean, they they got the guy they wanted, Jalen Green, obviously, and everybody's excited about that. Um, but of course they. They made a trade with Oklahoma City, which kind of surprised me. And I just, I, I didn't get it quite right, Robert. I just, I felt like the Rockets were going to make a trade, you know, at, at some point in the first round. I thought they might trade one of those back-to-backs. Well, that didn't happen. But they still made a trade with Oklahoma City, of all teams. I know you and David Weiner talked about that quite a bit. Or was it David Hardesty? Sorry. Um, but they made that trade, of course, and moved up to 16 to get uh, Alper and Sengun, so, yeah, just a very interesting night, you know, and then they have uh, added Garuba, and uh, then you have uh, Josh Christopher. So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting, and I think they even made a an undrafted signing that uh, p- very few people, I guess, have talked about, Matthew Hurt. So, man, the, the Rockets, they've been overhauling their roster almost, you know, it, it, I'd almost say it was almost like the Texans roster, except the Rockets don't have near as many players. Yeah, we don't have to deep dive into too much of the picks because I just did that hour with Clutch Fans' David Hardesty. Like I said, go back a couple of days ago if you haven't listened to it already. Uh, Hardesty is always so knowledgeable, and he knows the draft. He sure does. But I I, I do want to say this. Out, outside of Jalen Green, Usman Garuba was my favorite draft pick. David, if you listen to it, I think he agreed. And it looks like an immediate lockdown defender. Gruba, and no matter how he develops offensively, Stephen. Worst case scenario, he's a super solid bench player because of that defense, and that's something that, boy, the the Rockets desperately need that. Oh, they certainly do. You know, I, he's kind of a, a forward center type. I mean, he's not particularly athletic from what I've read on the scouting reports, but his lateral quickness and, and intensity, you can't question that. And He's got that, yeah, as you said, he's a versatile defender, and that's certainly something that uh, Steven Silas uh, enjoys. Uh, he appears to defend well on screens. He, he likes to deflect balls. Uh, he keeps his hands up, so that's going to come into play. So, yeah, I mean, from an offensive standpoint, his size is, is probably not going to be an advantage, but I don't think the Rockets are going to be looking for him to be an offensive standout. They're looking for defense, as you pointed out, Robert. I hope people go back and look at the video on YouTube and see what he can do. Yeah, he's got some athleticism. You know, well, first of all, just being the fact that his length, he's about seven foot three uh, as far as wingspan is concerned. That's what I look at. So that that right there is enough. I don't know, you know, how, how, what's his vertical, how high he's jumping out of the gym, but he, he blocked Jason Tatum on a drive to the basket during the Olympics, which is pretty impressive. So it's that kind of athleticism. Uh, right. I, I do want to bring up this too, Stephen, because uh, I, I was at the draft party, the the huge Rockets draft. Well, not huge as far as people, but huge as far as Rockets Twitter was all there. It was David Hardesty and David Wiener from Clutch Fans. David Wiener hosted it. And then Rockets Girl, our our, our friend Bree was on there. I need to need to get Bree on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, acquaintances with Bree. Uh, she's a sweetheart. Uh, also, you had Ben DuBose, longtime guest of the show. We've had him, him on many times. He covers the Rockets for USA Today. 
So it just low. Oh, Jackson Gatlin too from Lockdown Rockets. So it was loaded with all these Rockets people. And and I get there, get to the party, and David's like, you know, we got some pretty good food for this. Uh, our food is going to be from Grotto because guess what? Patrick Fertitta found out about our draft party and sent us food free of charge. Wow, look at you. Robert, you're in some great company. I mean, my goodness. When I talk about a party, wait, uh, Red Rowdy Maya wasn't there? I guess she was missing? Oh, no. Unfortunately, no Red Rowdy Maya, but I was messaging with her as the draft was going along. And, you know, it, it was uh, interesting that Patrick Fertitta did that for us. I, I think, you know, maybe a couple of the those guys are a little bit more positive Rockets, but... You know, for me, it's not going to change how I report on it. You're not going to bribe me, Stephen, with food. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not that easy. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Patrick Fertitta wanted to seal you up, Robert, make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm sure he listens very faithfully to this podcast, and he, he's going to be on the edge of his seat every time the Rockets play when we come on to, to see what you say about them. But, no, that, that really is a cool story. I mean, I, hey, you, you can't beat that when the owner's son – comes through with some grub for you to make your party even better. And then the Rockets came through by the draft they had. So, man, it sounds like all around, Robert, you had a great party and a great time. You should have seen some of the reactions by David's, the Davids, David Wiener and Hardesty uh, during the draft as stuff was coming down because they had definite feelings about, you know, which guy they wanted and, you know, what they thought about different guys and er everything that was going on. And it wasn't just what was happening with the Rockets, but just how the draft was playing out too. And I talked with David Hardesty in the podcast about Kelly Olenek coming back. Uh, we got into that conversation. I was surprised he, he'd signed a deal by the time I put out the podcast. I, I couldn't believe that was one of the moves that happened so quickly, the, the Woj bombs that just you know started flying out immediately in free agency. And I was also surprised he only cost about $13 million a year. You know, We, we were thinking, oh, maybe it's going to be 15 or $20 million with Kelly Olenek. The Rockets uh, also signed Daniel Theis, who Hardesty talked about in the podcast as well. And and that's the guy that sort of, you know, you would say replaces Olenek. And Stephen, I, I like Theis because, uh, or it's Theis. I, I think it's Theis. I, I believe it is, yeah. I like him because he'll help Christian Wood defend inside. But his three-point shooting, it's good, but not quite Kelly Olenek good. For his career, 33.5%. Olenek, 36.7%. But that's probably the major move. They also got Nawaba. He's coming back, but Tice is really the guy. That's the addition. I, I, I would be surprised if we're going to see. I mean, they've almost got the roster filled out at this point. I think there's 14 of the 15 spots are already accounted for and taken. Yeah, I mean, the Rockets definitely have this, a lot of guys locked up. And that, I mean, the, the thing about Tice is that they didn't get him for his shooting, definitely. I think he's also more of a defender that the Rockets can count on. Uh, he can be a small ball center. Uh, getting back to Kelly Olenek, I, I was really hoping that they would keep him just for the sake of, you know, having that veteran presence and leadership on a team that's rebuilding. I think you've got to have guys like Kelly Olenek, but I, I wasn't that confident that they could keep him or they would. So I was very excited when, when I found out that, you know, he's going to be, re that he is resigning with them. So I'm, I'm glad to have Olenek, you know, Tice, I, wasn't it a four-year contract that they offered him? Yeah, it was, it, it was three or four years, but uh, the, the money wasn't big. And, and the big thing about it is, 
It's a contract that will be dealable if the Rockets want to deal him at a trade deadline in the not too distant future. And that matters because, you know, you you typically don't need a guy that maybe is a backup center on an NBA championship team as you're building onward. But teams out there that are in the playoff hunt, they might see Tice as that guy that uh, gets them to the next level. And and Olenek... I, I would have liked to seen them keep Olenek, not just because he was just so solid with the Rockets, but at that price point, at only about $13 million, I think it was three years, $37 million. That's a price point that you can definitely afford if you're the Rockets, and it's a price point that allows you to go put him out on the market if, if somebody needs him, if they need a backup big come playoff time. So uh, with both of those contracts, that's something that both Detroit and the Rockets had to think about. And I don't know when it went into Kelly Olenek's decision. I mean, he's a Canadian, so maybe, you know, being in, in Detroit, it was closer to Canada for him. Maybe he liked the situation up there. Uh, they they didn't draft big guys where the Rockets did, and he maybe saw some more playing time, more opportunities. I don't know what, what went into that, but uh, it's just interesting that, that that's the move that they decided to go for. Yeah, and uh, again, I mean, I'm, I'm look, liking more and more the, the makeup of this uh, Rockets roster. Uh, the one thing, and I know you and David Hardesty touched on in the podcast, is what the, the thing that Rockets really don't want to do is lock themselves into one of those long-term contracts that's going to be very difficult to get out of. So, you know, the fact that they signed Tice and uh, Olenek to deals that, uh, you know, are, are easily – interchangeable if you need to you know the John Wall I guess is the big question mark now of, you know what's going to happen with him at some point I mean he's he's going to be there for the time being but uh you know talking about having backup centers you don't really know what's going to happen though especially from a health standpoint you know what if Christian Wood goes down again you know what what if somebody else goes down you're going to be glad you have that depth but it's it's going to be interesting time will tell to see how that plays out but right now it's looking really good that you have those guys back there. You say they need that depth. A lot of Rockets fan would say, don't get the depth because you want to be bad again next year. You want to draft high. <laughs> that's that, that's the goal. Uh, I want to win. I want to win. Yeah, I'm of the belief that winning begets winning. And in, in a lottery situation that you've got now where um, it doesn't always behoove you to be the worst team because you could end up with the six or seven. I mean, look how the Thunder just trash things and still ended up with the six pick. And a lot of people didn't think the the six pick that they got was very good, but more importantly, they, they didn't get in that top five, which is where you wanted to be in this draft. So you, so you got that, by the way, if you go out in the free agent market, um, I thought it was real interesting, Stephen, because uh, we, we should at least mention the free agent market. You had Chris Paul sign a four year deal with the Suns till age almost 40. I think it's going to be going towards uh, you got Kyle Lowry, the ex another ex rocket that's going to the Miami Heat to play with Jimmy Butler and that group, and he's going there with PJ Tucker, who took less money to go to Miami. So that was interesting. But also, I love that the Lakers have a team full of guys that Rockets fans were happy to see go: Westbrook, Carmelo, Dwight, unplayable in the playoffs, Montrez Harrell. Washed up Trevor Ariza. That's the Lakers group right now. <laughs> How about that? And, you know, is there a way they could swing a deal for James Harden and get him on the Lakers too and just, you know, have pretty much almost every former Rocket on the team? Yeah, that that raised my eyebrows, the, the Russell Westbrook trade, I, I have to say. Um, <laughs> it caught me a little by surprise. And getting back to Chris Paul, and you, you know I love Chris Paul. I, I really do. I was hoping that Phoenix would win. 
but giving a four-year contract to him with with his injury issues. I mean, I know he had a great season with you know everything and was very inspirational. But man, you talk about locking yourself into a deal that you might regret a year or two from now. Hmm, I'm thinking Phoenix might have done that. That they didn't want Chris Paul to get away. I understand that, but was it worth a four-year deal that they signed him to? I'm not so sure about that. No question. I mean, that's a a big issue potentially down the road for Phoenix, but I guess you're paying for the fact that he got you to the finals and you're doing doing him a favor, doing him a solid. And and the other thing, if you look at it from Phoenix's standpoint, um, I don't know what you do beyond re-signing Chris Paul. I don't know where you go. I don't know how you handle things to to keep things going for you. And it, it might help you for the next year or two. And then you know, a couple of years down the road, you might regret it a little bit. But if you get him for a couple more years, um, that's a good thing. Because if you're Phoenix, I think you're good enough at this point. You're one of those teams that's good enough where you're not going to get a draft choice that's going to be a superstar to add to Booker. So you might as well keep Chris Paul, you know, in the fold. I, that's, that's I guess, they're thinking. Yeah, that probably is. I mean, you'd think, well, is Chris Paul going to be in that high demand that you've got to wrap him up? Well, apparently they thought so because that's what they did. All right, let's move to the Texans. Next subject. You've been putting off the inevitable, Robert. I know. Well, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. I I don't think you and I have talked since Casario made his best personnel move. Okay, yeah, that's true. We haven't. Randall, the crappy contract Cobb, got Casario a six-round pick. And like you do with every player you trade that Bill O'Brien brought in, you got to pay part of his contract on the way out. But thanks to Aaron Rodgers holding a gun to the Packers' head, Casario actually made a move. I like the light. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when they uh, made that trade for Anthony Miller, what did they give up? Was it a sixth rounder, seventh rounder? So I, I guess, you know, they got one of those lower draft picks back, and they more or less got rid of a contract from a guy that, you know, quite honestly, I, I just don't think he was going to be, he certainly wasn't going to be a top flight receiver and contribute for the Texans. So, yeah, kind of raised my eyebrows a bit, but uh, you got to like that deal right now anyway. I think the Anthony Miller trade was made after they knew that the Cobb thing was going to happen. Uh, yeah. I, I still don't think that Anthony Miller was worth a six. I still don't know why you're so intent on bringing in a bunch of mediocre guys. That's a whole other story. I, I well, that's a whole, we could talk about that some other time, but let, let me ask you a question. Why does Casario have, press conferences why does he bother if he's not going to say anything I mean just put out a statement that says I'm never going to give anybody real information or say anything of value so I'm not doing any more press conferences side Nick Casario yeah I'm getting to wonder that myself and and why is David Coley having press conferences look I, I love David's enthusiasm you know he's certainly the guy that you know, he's the, the back-slapping, happy-go-lucky kid, you know, that you you want to like him. But, I mean, David Culley has been put in this position, obviously. He has to do what he has to do. But Nick Casario, yeah, I get it. I mean, I guess you could ask the same thing. You know, why does Bill Belichick have press conferences? Well, the difference is Bill Belichick has a whole bunch of Super Bowls. I'm losing count of how many. Nick Casario does not, at least not with the Texans, and the Texans certainly don't. You know, this whole thing with Deshaun, Robert, I don't know why they're being so hush-hush about it. I know exactly why Deshaun was not at practice on Tuesday. He was organizing a birthday party for Tyrod Taylor. It was his birthday that day, I think. So, yeah, no, in all seriousness, I I don't know why the, this PR nightmare is con- just continues and continues. I don't know if I want to know the answer to this question, 
what is it going to take for them to get out of this PR quagmire? I, I'm not sure I want to know. It is Patriot South. Whether they were going to acknowledge that or not, it's Patriot South. That's what it's been with this organization. Look, Rick Smith, he didn't talk much. He talked maybe twice a year. I, I, I don't know why Nick Casario keeps running himself out there. I, I don't think the media would be upset if Casario just didn't do it. If you're the media, you have to cover it if he's going to talk. And you would be, I guess, uh, bereft of your duty to not ask him questions. It's just that he's never going to say anything. He's boring as can be. He talks in circles. It just, it seems like a total waste of time. And all it does is annoy you as a fan. If you're a fan of this team, you just, you, you, you grow to hate the Texans more because the way Nick Casario does this. Yeah. And why would you do that to a fan base for a team that obviously, you know, it just goes back to what I just said. The Texans haven't won any Super Bowls. Why, why do you want to alienate your fan base? Uh, You know, a friend of mine talk about this a lot and he seems to think, you know, if, if, the Texan sponsors would just start pulling out, you know, saying we, we've had enough of this, you know, all this publicity and everything that's going on with Deshaun. We're, we're not going to we're not going to advertise. Is, is that what it would take for them to finally change course and change their tune? I mean, John McClain, I think, said it best in the Chronicle today, Robert, is that, you know, just give them something that Nick Asario, give them something that we can use. You don't have to be completely honest. I mean, no one is. But when it comes to the whole Deshaun thing, just give us something we can use of why he wasn't at practice instead of just playing ring around the rosy and saying absolutely nothing. It it just boggles my mind that, you know, why do you feel you have to do this? Who says the sponsors aren't pulling out? I mean, I, I, I'm not well, in, I'm not over there. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I'm sure we'd hear about it if they were, but uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know what it's going to take, honestly. All right. Well, let's, let's get a Casario cleanser. Uh, we need to cleanse our palate before we end the show and let's finish off on a positive And I want to go back to Tuesday morning, yesterday, as we're doing this, something really extraordinary happened on the Olympic wrestling mat with not only a Houston tie, but a personal tie for myself. And I'll take you back 12 years ago when I was producing the high school sports live show on channel 55, we did a story on Morton ranch wrestler, Tamira Mensa. She had just won the state championship two months after her dad died in an accident, a car accident returning from one of her meets. Her dad drove to every single one of her meets. He was uh, an incredible father by her account. And, you know, Tamara thought about quitting wrestling after she lost her dad. Well, she didn't. And on Tuesday, she became the first African-American woman and only the second American woman to win a wrestling gold medal. I'll be honest with you. I was in tears watching this and, and and you'll understand more why in just a second, because Steven, it's hard for me to explain why I like this girl so much when I met her 12 years ago. But I think if you listen to her interview after she won the gold medal, you might understand what I'm talking about. And Oh, as you listen to this interview, keep in mind, she brought a karaoke machine for her and her teammates to Tokyo. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very happy, and I keep trying not to cry, but it keeps happening. And I just want to go into a dark room and just cry. Uh, I'm crying from joy. You started wrestling in the 10th grade. You are now an Olympic gold medalist. Describe the ride. Uh, why? 
because I knew I could do it when I first started wrestling. I felt that I could be an Olympic champ, so I kept going. I did it. Damn right you did. <laughs> Tamara, I know you lost your father in high school. How do you think he would be responding right now, seeing you on top of the podium here coming up? <laughs> he would have been the loudest one. Here, he would be so proud. He would be so happy. <laughs> He's from Ghana too. <laughs> he don't say this out loud, but like he he like he was like enemies of Nigeria. So <laughs> it's kind of like poetic that I had to wrestle Nigeria in the finals. He's from Ghana, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> For women, wrestling has only been an Olympic sport for all, not even two decades. You are the second American yeah. woman to win gold. What does this mean for the popularity of the sport and for all the young girls out there that are going to see you and feel inspiration? It means that they see someone like themselves on that podium, someone like Helen on that podium, showing them just because you're a female, it doesn't mean you can't accomplish the biggest of goals and the being an Olympic champ is one of the hardest things I have ever done in my entire life and I can say it's well worth it and I can't wait to be at home with my husband and my dogs to celebrate with them. I have a very important question for you. Yeah. The karaoke machine tonight, what song are you going to do? Um, probably Carrie Underwood, Champion, with Ludacris in it. Maya Nelson showed me that song in uh, 2019 World Championships, and I can't get it out of my head. Because I am a champion. I was born for this. I was made to win. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the best, Stephen. Oh, my. I have no words, Robert. I have no words. I, I mean, I have heard some emotional interviews after winning a title or, you know, a team winning a championship or even, you know, individual medals, I honestly don't believe I have ever heard anything with such raw emotion as what we just heard. I mean, that's an interview for the ages. If you think about all that she's been through that you just talked about and they just talked about. And, you know, and then the pandemic comes along and pushes things back another year to make things even harder. And then she gets to this point. I, I just I, I can't. There's nothing else that I think we can say about it, Robert, that it speaks for itself. Yeah, a couple of things just to add on to this, because uh, her story, there's more to it, believe it or not. Uh, back in 2016, she won that bracket. She won the U.S. in, in that weight class. But I, I guess the U.S. did not qualify in that weight class. So she had gone to Rio in 2016 and was helping train other people at the Olympics, even though she won her weight class coming out of the United States uh, in the in the trials, I guess. The other part to the story, when she started wrestling, Stephen, she started because they were bullying her. The track team was bullying yep. her at school. She turned it all around. And within 13 years, she had an Olympic gold medal. And like I said, I, it, I can't explain to you what a sweet person this was off the mat as much as she was a competitor on the mat uh, without you listening to her and just getting an, an idea. And, and I still hear that same high school girl that I remember from 12 years ago. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've, I've interviewed numerous athletes, Robert, who, you know, were bullied in school were picked on for one reason or another, and they use sports as a vehicle to prove their worth or, you know, as an escape or a, a motivator and, if anybody did, she certainly did. And and I can only imagine how you're feeling. I know you 
you tweeted about this a lot this week, and I'm glad you did, because there there's so many storylines in the Olympics. Some of this stuff can get buried if you're not careful, and I'm glad you're bringing it to the forefront, and, and I'm sure it's even more gratifying for you just because you you dealt with her personally all those years ago and you've watched her come to this point. Yeah, that, that has to be great for you as well, Robert. Yeah, thank you to NBC, by the way, because uh, we're barring that audio. I hope they don't mind that we're showing some love to somebody that meant so much here in Houston, you know, local product. And speaking of local products, how about this? In the history of the women's 800 meters, the United States hadn't won a gold medal since 1968. And we're going to get Stephen to uh, give, give us the play-by-play of that <laughs> back then because he he actually was alive for that. But we, Yeah, barely, barely. <laughs> but, but we'd only won three medals in Olympic history in the women's 800 meters before yesterday. And then Texas Aggie, a thing Mo, won gold in the 800 meters and Houston's own Raven Rogers, who went to Kincaid High School, won the bronze. So we got two medals in the women's 800 yesterday after having three total in history. How about that? And they both have some Houston ties. Hey, I'm loving the the Houston connection, the the Texas connection, uh, getting all the love and bringing on some more. You know, the Olympics are winding down, but they're still going on. So, yeah, this is great stuff, Robert. I I mean, I, I love cheering for the, you know, players or you know athletes from other parts of the world and even other states but man I, I love the texas connection so many great houston athletes it just goes to show that uh, yeah houston is relevant and they're definitely showing it in these olympics did you and i talk about this that i, I came up with five athletes that i had either shot an interview or had interviewed that are in this Olympics? Did we go over that? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I know you've interviewed Simone before. I know we've talked about that at length, but, you know, and now, of course, you add Tamara to the list. So, no, I don't think we talked about some of the others you talked about. Yeah, Tamara and Simone, of course. And then uh, also when I was doing the high school show uh, a few years ago, well, this has been a while back, back to 2004, Kat Osterman. Yeah, you did talk about that. They got the silver medal. Is that right? Yeah, they lost to Japan again, like they did in 2008. So they just came up just short. Um, also, uh, Jason Jason Tatum. I interviewed him at the Woodlands AAU event. Uh, this was, God, oh, man, this is probably wow. 2015 or 2016 when he was, you know, a junior, senior in high school. But we knew he was going to be something and, and, and interviewed him back at that time. And uh, the U.S., Guys are as you and I are speaking are still doing all right. They're 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 making it through round by round. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you're you're developing quite a list there, Robert. Keep going, and uh, you're going to have a long list of uh, Olympians and sports celebrities to to add to your collection. There, it's been really cool to to see those connections, and I I don't know how much down the road that's going to be the case, but I still got uh, some connections to to some athletes in this Olympics that are special, but no, nothing compares to. Uh, Tamira. And, and of course, I mean, we got to talk about Simone just a little bit again, because, you know, she comes back and, and finally is able to compete for the beam bronze and she wins it after everything that she had gone through over the past week. We didn't even know about it at the time when she won the bronze, but it, it came out right after that. She had lost her aunt a couple of days ago. So you throw that into the mix. And, you know, they, she said, basically, they gave me clearance to go. So she was having herself checked out with people. This is just like a physical ailment when you have something like this going on, the twisties and all that sort of thing. 
also, Stephen, I, I wasn't going to set my alarm to watch her in the beam finals, but I figured if, if I wake up in the middle of the night, which happens a lot to me, I'm going to mm-hmm. get up and I'm going to uh, stream that and see Simone live do that. Cause I hate, you know, getting on in the morning and finding out, Oh, this happened and that happened. And so that's what I did. I, I got to watch that live and with Simone, you know, you know, you're watching something special. So when you have a chance to see her perform on this stage, you want to see it. That's right. And you don't, we don't know this obviously, but that could be the last time you see her in Olympic competition. I mean, who's to say uh, if anybody could come back in four years, it would be Simone uh, certainly, but you know, the whole thing, Robert, I, I think, and I, I put out a youth sports newsletter called better young athletes in my latest issue. I talk about the whole Simone situation and the lessons that young kids can learn from that. And, and, you know, for me, we we get so caught up in the tangible things, the medals, the championships, the pressure, you know, you got to perform, you got to do this, you got to do that. Simone showed a lot of courage by standing up and saying, you know what, I can't do this. And you know what, I'm not quitting. This isn't about quitting on my team or, you know, quitting on everybody who's putting these expectations on me. Something's going on and I'm going to do something about it. And if there are some lessons that, you know, any of us can learn, whether you know, we're a young youth athlete trying to make our way or just people like you and I in everyday work and life situations, Robert. I can't think of a greater example than what Simone has showed. I mean, I just think that in the full scheme of things, that's what's really important is that you listen to your mind and your body. You stay true to yourself. And you know what? If you're not okay, that's okay. So that, that's what I took from it. And, and I think that's what a lot of us should take from that, too. I also loved seeing the interview with Simone after the beam. And she said when she told her teammates that she was going to compete in the beam, the guys and the girls, the all, all the gymnasts just exploded with excitement and were just yelling and cheering and stuff like that, which is a great moment. And, you know, you, you talked a little bit about the people that doubt Simone or what has happened with her during the Olympics. Uh, we, we got into that a little bit, me and Greg Lucas in the podcast a couple of, uh, days ago. So if you want to hear my response to the haters, I guess, if you want to say, <laughs> yeah, go yeah. back, go back and listen to that one. And it's, it's been one of the real incredible stories for the Olympics. And, you know, I, I just, I so tick though, that, you know, she got that kind of robbed us of, of getting to see her, um, one more time on the, on this stage. I guess the good thing that came out of that is when she pulls out, it gave all of these other gymnasts, all of her teammates, a chance to win. And, and, and they did, you know, they, they, they stepped up and we saw them win silver in the team. And we got the individual gold medal as well. And then also, you know, you, you got some of the event stuff that she would have typically been in, but instead they got to like Jade Carey got a chance to win and she won in, in, in the floor exercise. So it just her not competing and then her encouraging them. It, it helped us all the way around. And that's another thing that I think we have to take from this, Robert, is that these other girls want to win too. And by what she did, you know, she stepped aside and the team could have crumbled. Uh, you know, the rest of the girls just kind of, oh my goodness, what are we going to do without Simone? But they didn't, you know, they, they came and they did what they needed to do. They took center stage and she allowed them to do that. And they came through. So, you know, one of the big things about the Olympics, there are so many things of the unexpected, uh, you know, both, in winning medals and championships and people that you're not expecting. But then, you know, something like this, it definitely kind of came out of left field. I don't think any of us were expecting it except maybe 
those who knew Simone really well. So the fact that it ended the way it did, it ended on a good note. She did come back one more time. And the fact that the other girls stepped up, just, man, it makes it even more of a great story. Love the Olympics, the Bobby Fink, uh, two gold medals last week. I talked about uh, the first one that he got last week, but he gets another one and an incredible comeback again. That was just uh, one of my favorite stories of the whole Olympics was Bobby Fink. I mean, until Tamara's uh, gold medal yesterday, that was my favorite story, the Bobby Fink story. And not just the fact that he won, but how he won. And it was just so fun to watch. Hopefully we'll get to talk about some more great moments in our next show. But let's wrap things up by reminding everybody that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. Uh, BetUS.com, that's where you want to go. And when you use it, use our promo code HST125. If you forget, look for the promo code in the show description. You can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. That's info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. And we're going to have up on the website in the coming weeks, we're going to put the link to BetUS.com so you can just click on it. And if you click on it, you help me out a little bit. So that's going to be up pretty soon. Uh, But until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.